Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, February 18th. In today's news, the number of coronavirus cases in the U.S. doubles. The Boy Scouts of America files for bankruptcy. And the Trump administration rolls back a regulation limiting mercury pollution. But first, the big idea. Former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg has qualified for Wednesday's Democratic debate in Las Vegas, setting the stage for a clash that will test the staying power of a campaign that has so far been defined by its astronomical advertising spending. Bernie Sanders has called Bloomberg's spending on his campaign, which has now topped more than $300 million, precisely what the corruption of the American political system is all about. Elizabeth Warren has demanded that Bloomberg release women who worked for him from legal settlement agreements. Joe Biden said he's going to go after Bloomberg's record on race, from his past criticisms of anti-redlining policies to his defenses of stop and frisk, which Bloomberg didn't apologize for until days before he got into the contest. Bloomberg is the first candidate to make the Democratic debate stage this cycle without meeting any fundraising goals following a change last month by Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez that allowed candidates to qualify for the debate by scoring 10% or better in four qualifying polls. Bloomberg's fourth poll, which came out this morning from NPR, PBS, and Marist, shows him with the support of 19% of Democratic primary voters nationwide, in second place behind Sanders, who receives 31%. Bloomberg has pummeled the airwaves in states that vote on Super Tuesday with so many ads that a questioner at a Tennessee news conference late last week thanked him for a $3.5 million buy at the TV station that he works for before proceeding with his question. After two contests in states with overwhelmingly white electorates, the Democratic presidential primaries are rushing into a broader and more diverse landscape where Latino and African-American voters play a potentially decisive role and are now up for grabs. A third of voters in Nevada, whose caucuses conclude this Saturday, are Latino or Black. In South Carolina, which votes the following Saturday, nearly two-thirds of expected Democratic voters are African American. Most Democratic voters in Texas and Alabama will be non-white. And more than a third of the voters in Arkansas, Tennessee, Virginia, and North Carolina are also expected to be African American. All of those states along with heavily diverse California, vote on March 3rd. Just as more voters of color are poised to assert their say, the battle for their support is getting more competitive. Biden, who's long been popular among Latinos and the longtime polling leader among black voters, is a weakened candidate. Polls and interviews show that Bloomberg is making inroads among black voters who had been with Biden. Rosemary Lawrence, a 75-year-old black woman who leads the political ministry at Charlotte's mostly black Friendship Missionary Baptist Church, represents Biden's biggest worry. She supported the former vice president when he entered the race in April and laid out to anyone who would listen the argument that he was the candidate most likely to defeat President Trump. But not anymore. She said she still loves Biden and she's appreciative of all he did to help Barack Obama. She said they did great things together, especially on health care. She said she really wanted to support him, but what she's seen recently is, quote, he doesn't seem to be as energized and focused and alert as he was a few years ago. And she worries he won't have enough money to beat Trump in the general. Early voting has already started in North Carolina, 
And Lauren says later this week, she plans to cast a ballot for Bloomberg. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, 14 Americans who tested positive for coronavirus were among the hundreds of U.S. citizens evacuated from a cruise ship off Japan to U.S. facilities over the holiday weekend. It was the result of a chaotic chain of events that put virus-stricken passengers on flights with other evacuees. Their return doubles the number of confirmed coronavirus cases in the U.S. to 29. The 14 U.S. passengers tested positive for the virus after disembarking from the Diamond Princess. That's the cruise liner that's carrying 2,666 passengers and another 1,000 crew members that had been quarantined for two weeks off the Japanese port of Yokohama. But by the time the test results arrived, these 14 were already on a fleet of buses that took 328 asymptomatic passengers from the ship to two charter planes bound for U.S. military bases in Texas and California. It was a wrench in a coordinated effort. While the buses sat on the tarmac, health experts mulled whether to put the 14 on the flights or divert them to hospitals in Japan. The planes each included a sealed-off section of 18 seats in the back, and part of the plan was to isolate any passengers in those seats if they developed symptoms mid-flight. The State Department and the Department of Health and Human Services said in a joint statement last night that health authorities deemed the 14 fit to fly because they weren't showing symptoms, even though they tested positive. They were cordoned off in those seats in the back. The Diamond Princess quarantine will end as scheduled on Wednesday. That's the cruise ship. Japan's health minister says that 88 more cases on the ship have been discovered, bringing the total link to that ship to 542. A total of 35 Filipino crew members on the ship have also tested positive. And sadly, word came across the wire a few minutes ago that the virus has now killed the director of Wuhan's main hospital. A respected neurologist who was also director of the Wuchang Hospital died after getting infected with the coronavirus. Lu Ziming who was just 51, passed away despite the best efforts to save him. His death is the most high profile since whistleblower Li Wenliang died, which sparked that outpouring of public anger and grief. And it follows the death of a nurse, Lu Fan, from the same hospital. Officials have been sounding a more upbeat note in recent days about the prospects for containing this virus. But the renowned Chinese pulmonologist who had predicted a peak this month clarified his remarks to say that the peak may be followed by a plateau rather than a fall in cases. As of today, China says that 1,868 of its citizens have died, and there are 72,436 confirmed coronavirus cases in mainland China. Meanwhile, Apple issued a statement last night warning that it expects to fall short of revenue goals in the current quarter because of the outbreak, underscoring the far-reaching effects of this public health crisis on our global economy. Number two, facing a wave of lawsuits over allegations of sexual abuse, the Boy Scouts of America filed for bankruptcy early this morning. The long-anticipated Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing will allow the Scouts to keep operating as it reorganizes its finances and handles claims from hundreds of potential victims. It will also give victims a limited amount of time to come forward before being barred indefinitely from seeking compensation. Lawyers across the country have been representing hundreds of clients and have already filed lawsuits in states like New York and Pennsylvania. A key question will be whether the Boy Scouts of America will be able to protect the assets of its local councils, which own vast summer camps and properties in prime real estate across the country. These local councils are incorporated separately, 
but they hold 70% of the Boy Scouts' wealth. Many of these different institutions could be implicated in the claims, making for an even more complicated bankruptcy case. Number three, the Environmental Protection Agency is about to relax a rule cutting mercury pollution. Amazingly, the industry doesn't even want it, but the Trump administration is doing it anyway. Despite a chorus of opposition from unions, business groups, and electric utilities, the EPA is on the verge of finalizing its proposal as part of a broader effort to overhaul how the government calculates the health benefits of cleaner air. The agency plans to declare that it is not, quote, appropriate and necessary, that's a legal standard, for the government to limit harmful pollutants from power plants, even though every utility in America has already complied with the standards that were put in place back in 2011. While it will technically keep existing restrictions on mercury in place, it means the government would not be able to count collateral benefits, such as reducing soot and smog, when it sets limits on toxic air pollutants. It's a rollback industry officials argue will open the door to new legal fights, prompting some plants to turn off their pollution controls and ultimately sicken more Americans. All so that the administration can rewire how the government weighs the costs of regulation. The changes could give a boost to struggling coal companies while hamstringing future efforts to limit mercury emissions from the nation's power plants. The rule in question targets a powerful neurotoxin that can affect the IQ and motor skills of children, even in utero. Between 2006, when states began to curb mercury from coal plants, and 2016, when the Obama-era rule took full effect, emissions have declined 85 And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, February 18th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.